Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there's seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetations, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of heaven to separate the day from the night. And let there be signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of heaven to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great seas, creatures and living creatures that move, with which the waters swarm according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed him, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the sea, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps the earth. So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I pray that we wouldn't just read this without our um, hearts getting wrapped into awesome worship of you. So I, I pray that you would allow us to, to read this and just be like children again, to be in awe of your amazing, wonderful power. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. First is a review. Okay, uh, you guys are looking at the verses and you're trying to summarize each day. So day one, God creates uh, light. Light. Uh, day two, God creates sky. There's expanse between two waters. Okay, that's kind of strange. Well, one water is the ocean. The other one would be the clouds, sky. Okay? Day three, dry land and vegetation. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. Uh, I love that verse. Oh, and the stars. <laughs> you know, we read it so, and the stars, right? Uh, day five, animals in the water and birds. And then day six, land animals and then human beings. Now, you, you read this and there's a kind of literary device that um, the, the author, ultimately God, is using. Did you guys see the... Uh, the, the repetitions and the structure in this first chapter, you guys, you guys see it? And so it kind of goes like this. It, it starts off like you got a day, okay? And God said, let there be, and then there was. It, it, it happened. He said, let there be, and, and there was. And the scripture says, and it was so, and it happened. There it is. And, and then it, there's so, some more like uh, verbs of, of what God's doing. Uh, and then, and God saw it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, and then there was the blank day. You guys, you guys see that pattern in the scripture, right? And the structure keeps getting repeated over and over for each day, which kind of gives us a sense that there's some poetry and some rhythm to this, this chapter. Now, people debate about this chapter a lot. Some of you are hoping that I'm going to get into that debate, and... Um, I, I'm not, but uh, some of the questions around this chapter, like, does evolution fit within the framework of Genesis? Did he create everything in the beginning, verse 1, and then each day a description of how he arranged it? Or is the text saying that each day he created that thing? 
You guys understand the, the, the two, the, the, the two uh, interpretations. I had one teenager come and ask me, where in chapter 1 are the dinosaurs? That's a legitimate question. Does science support the order of creation listed? Now, I think at the very heart of this debate is the question, how are we supposed to read the first two chapters of Genesis? I think that's the very heart of the debate. Are we supposed to read it literally? Are we supposed to read it figuratively? So, for instance, on the first day when God created light, when the Bible says day, what does the Bible mean by day? Are we talking 24-hour period, or are we talking a symbolic period of time that could have spanned for millions of years? Which one is it? I remember a conversation that I had with my friend who heard that I was open to a figurative understanding of Genesis chapter 1. And she read it purely historically. So she said to me, how can you believe in the inerrancy of scripture and still think that day in Genesis could be millions and millions of years? And, and I, I challenged her. I said, I don't think you read every chapter of the Bible literally. I'm convinced you don't. And she goes, well, how do you know that? And I said, look, there's that verse in the New Testament where Jesus says that if your hand causes you to sin, chop it off and throw it away. So what do you say we both go to the kitchen and you go first? And she wouldn't go with me. Why? Because she read that part figuratively and you're supposed to read it figuratively because when Jesus said it, he wants you to take that figuratively. He doesn't want you to go to the kitchen and chop off your hand. But he does want you to do something radical about cutting off sin in your life, right? So you read it figuratively. So all I'm saying here is that the Bible is authoritative and inerrant, period. And you need to read it in the way that it's meant to be read. If Jesus want, it was saying this figuratively, you need to understand it figuratively. So in Genesis chapter 1, which one is it? Is it historical or is it figurative? I would say it's mixed. It feels like history. It has historical parts to it. And at the same time, it is full of symbolism. Now, sorting out which one is which is kind of complex, and we can do that in a smaller setting. But personally, not personally, um, science and the biblical account are totally compa compatible. I believe they are. In fact, if we take a deeper look into, into matters, science and the Christian faith are way more compatible than science and atheism. For the time that we have today, I'd like to go through this first chapter and see how the first chapter is an introduction for the rest of the Bible. Because you know that in the fall, we're going to go through the rest of the Old Testament. Or we've, we've, we've uh, selected portions of it and we're going to go through it in greater detail. But what is the irreducible minimum that these chapters, chapters 1 and 2, are saying? What can I say from, this from these chapters that sets the rest of the book up? And what can I say from these chapters that no one's going to argue with me and say, 
you know, you, you interpreted too much. You did too much stretching. And so I have four points. Number one, God is infinitely powerful and creative. Number two, God is a talking God. Number three, we are created in God's image. Number four, work is given to humankind as a gift. I know these are a lot. Today is kind of like, you guys like enjoy tapas? You know, tapas, right? It's not just one big dish and one big point, but it's, it's four appetizers, okay? And you're like, you're eating an appetizer, you're like, I want more, but no, 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 there's another dish, okay? But, but all these kind of emerge from the scripture, so let's go, okay? Uh, first point, God is infinitely powerful and creative. God made everything that is non-God. If you really think about the complexity all that's happening in this first chapter, the genius of every tiny detail, the sheer magnitude of what's being developed. It's hard to read chapter 1 and not go, I know this is not really sophisticated, but you read chapter 1 and not go, whoa. And I was thinking maybe we can make that a liturgical response. I read chapter 1, I go, whoa, and you guys go, whoa, indeed, you know. When was the last time you were looking at the beauty and the greatness that's reflected in nature, and you looked upward and you just said, God, you are awesome. When was the last time you did that? Uh, one of the coolest things about being a parent is that you get to look at the world a second time through the eyes of your kids. Or at least uh, through, through their reading material. Uh, one day, I was putting my kids to bed, and I just... Uh, Ask them to get any random book. Because really my goal is just to read a book, have them get a little sleepy and put them to bed. And so my son Christopher pulls up this book. It's the, the flip-flap body book. You know, I did a little more research after this. So this is not the, the, the original telling, but, uh, it, but it's, it's pretty close to it. So I'm sitting in bed. My kids are, you know, kind of in their covers. Let's just go through a few pages and, and hopefully you will go to bed. So there's one section called the five senses, right? And I'm like, okay, uh, here we go, reading the book. Uh, your body, Christopher and Ryan, is, is all covered with skin. And did you know that every uh, patch of your body, every like square centimeter, has these touch receptors all over your body? All over every part of skin. And it's connected to your uh, spinal cord through wires called nerves. And then the spinal cord is connected to the brain. So if anyone touches you or tickles you or burns you with the cigarette butt, no, uh, you know, or, or, uh, you're touching cold, any, any of these, you will, will feel the sensation and it's going to your brain because your hand right now is filled with all these touch receptors. That's pretty cool. And then I, I turn the page, and, uh, and then the second page is like the, the nose, right? And, and I'm reading here how it has like little tiny hairs in your nose, and the little tiny hairs, uh, they, when they catch wind of the odor, they make they signals to the brain that that is what you're, you're smelling. Did you know that the human nose can pick up 10,000 different kinds of smells? 10,000. And so, you know, you imagine me telling my kids like, you know, when you guys miss the toilet, that smell is hitting my nose and the tiny little hairs and telling me that you guys are missing, because I'm a preacher, application, this is application, right? So aim better, right? And so, so we're talking about the nose and the tiny hairs. 
Now, this is the one that personally did it for me. I don't know if it, did, it probably didn't do anything. Maybe it didn't do anything for my kids. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm going through the ear, right? And, I'm, you know, the ear, the ear is this, this outer ear is this receptacle for sound. It sticks out. It, it's, it's, it's skin that's covering cartilage. And it's capturing these sound waves. And then there's grooves and it all funnels down into the ear, into this eardrum. And the eardrum wobbles. But did you know what's behind the eardrum? This is really interesting. Behind the eardrum is a tiny little hammer-like bone. I'm, you know, like, imagine me going, in, in my ear, uh, Ryan, there's a, this tiny little hammer. This tiny little hammer. And it's connected to this, this other bone that's like an anvil, which is connected to this stirrup, which is the tiniest bone in your body, which is connected to this uh, uh, chamber like a snail that's filled with fluid and so all the sound wave goes through and then it goes the signals go through the chamber and then there's tiny hairs that are connected to the nerve and go to the brain and it's telling you that the things that you're hearing and it's making order of all these things now i gotta say for me personally the book and the ear had me at tiny little hammer there's a little tiny little hammer in, that's very creative <laughs> that is genius i i'm I, in my heart, I'm read, I don't know what they're thinking, but I'm like, this is amazing. Amazing creativity. This is day six. God putting human beings together, putting together their, their nervous system, putting together the ear and the little tiny, you know, it, it was like a worship service. I almost took an offering. <laughs> Kids, put in the money. Put in the money in my hat. Put in the money. When was the last time you looked at the, the order, the creativity that's in nature? I'm not just talking about the tree, the forest, the, the masterpiece, the human body. This is day six. And you just went, whoa. How creative, how genius is our God? Oh, but I'm not done. Because there's this another book on their shelf. There's this other book on their shelf. And it talks about the sheer magnitude of God. Verse 1 says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Paraphrase that. In the beginning, God created the universe. Okay? Now, it could be that in this verse, he makes all the different pieces, and then on each day, he takes the pieces and he puts them in place. That, that's possible. That's, that's one possible interpretation. Or it could be like each day, he created each thing. But think about what happened on day four. The two lights. One governs the day, the sun. The other one governs the night, the moon. And he made the stars. You throw it in there. How powerful do you have to be to make a star? <laughs> I, I, I know someone who will be anonymous. I'm not going to name their name. But there is a person somewhere in our church who at, at, at this day holds the national record for deadlifting in their weight class. I mean, we're not going to say any names. I'm not going to tell you what her name is, you know. Uh, and you know what deadlift is? You guys know what deadlift is? You don't. Clearly, you don't lift weights like some of us do. Uh, so a deadlift is, you got the, uh, what do you call it? The, the big long bell. <laughs> the the uh, barbell, but it's long, what do you call it? Clearly, you know I don't do this. Okay. Anyway, you, you go down and you, you lift it like that. That's the deadlift, okay? It takes a lot of back strength, a lot of form, a lot of muscle. Now you're wondering, like, who, you're looking around the church, like, who can this be, right? You're thinking, you know, you're thinking Pastor Calvin or something, you know. No, yeah, it's not Pastor Calvin, by the way. Um, so as powerful as this person in our churches, this person is not the most powerful mammal in the world. The most powerful mammal in the world is a 
You guys know this, right? Is a, say it together, blue whale. Okay. I think we could probably fit maybe one or two blue whales in this, in this room. This is a big room. Blue whale is the biggest uh, mammal, probably the strongest mammal because of its sheer size, you know. Now, I want you to think about this. Uh, Peter did a really good teaser on this. I'm going to fill it in with a little bit more detail, okay? Now, really, we're talking about day four, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Either he created on those days or he set them into place. I'm thinking, how, how heavy is one of those stars? Let's think about this, okay? Now, you take that blue whale, and let's say you take a jar that fits 100 blue whales, okay? Maybe it's a, about the half of this block. Okay, you take a jar that's uh, 100 blue whales, and you would need more than a million of those to actually fill up Mount Everest. Okay, so Mount Everest is pretty big. You know what's bigger than Mount Everest? Planet Earth. Now, if you took 100 Mount Everest and you just put it and you piled it on top of each other, and then you somehow were on planet Earth, but you got a, a chance to go to outer space and look at planet Earth, all those Mount Everest would be like a tiny whisker on that planet. Now, I, I know that Mount Everest is not in North America. I know that. But just imagine on the other side, there is this whisker. Those would be 100 Mount Everest stacked on top of each other. Just a whisker. You know what's bigger than planet Earth? You're like, whoa, okay, that's what, six... Uh, sextillion tons, right? You know what's bigger than planet Earth? The sun. Now, if you uh, were able to get a bag that is the size of a sun, you would need more than a million planet Earths to fill it, okay? So you would need more than a million planet Earths to fill a bag that's the size of the sun. Sun's very big. You know what's bigger than the sun? Antares, supernova. Now, if you turn the sun into a sun-sized orange and you put it in a, a crate with 99 other sun-sized oranges, it would be a tiny box on this great big land called Antares. And Antares would fill 50 million sun-sized oranges. But we don't stop there. Uh, the, the, the scripture says, and the stars, and the stars. Okay, now our galaxy, the Milky Way, has billions of stars, including Antares. Okay, you see Antares? It was big like one slide ago. <laughs> it's not very big anymore. When you think of the galaxies, with billions of stars. Now, I want you to think about this. And the stars. He either created those or he moved them into place. How strong do you have to be to move, you know, 446 pounds? You've got to be pretty strong. How strong do you have to be to move a star? How strong do you have to be to, like, make a galaxy? And how many galaxies are in the universe? Billions. Billions of galaxies. Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How powerful is this God? Uh, in, in the, how big is this God? Infinite. How big, how big 
is the biggest problem in your life compared to the size of this God. You're like, well, before, yeah, you, it was, okay, it's small. It's not that big compared to the greatness of God. What would your life look like if you lived every moment with that clarity of God's infinite power? Would your life be different? Would you, would you pray differently? <laughs> Some of you, including myself, you, you walk around with a, a fair amount of stress. Well, if you know who's on your side, do we, is it actually logical for us to, to carry that stress or to have that anxiety? It doesn't really make much sense. I mean, isn't that why Paul said, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we can ask or imagine. I, I'm not saying that when we pray, automatically our prayer is answered or our greatest need is given to us. But we have a God that who not only give us that great need, but meet us in our suffering and pain and, and be with us through that. How great is this God? Oh, infinitely great. How creative is this God? Oh, infinitely creative. And, and, and what would life be like if we carried that image of God into every day, into every morning? My God, there's nothing my God cannot do. There is nothing my God cannot do. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And all God's people said, whoa. Point number two, God is a talking God. Our God is a talking God. I, I want you to pay attention to how God creates the world. Uh, what's the first thing that God does at the very start of every new day? Verse three, God says, let there be light. But what's the first thing he did? He said, let there be light. And then there was light. On day two, God said, let there be an expanse, sky, done. Day three, God said, let the dry land appear, and it was so. Now, this pattern continues. The first thing that God does every new day is he speaks. He speaks, things come to life. He talks, things happen. Our God is a talking God. What is the irreducible minimum? Our God is a talking God. It is in his very nature to communicate. Our God is a talking God. I've been trying to communicate to my son because I think he's old enough. And I want him to know that being a Christian, it's not just knowing all these facts about the Bible or all this knowledge about the Bible. I think that's definitely very important he needs to know the facts and he needs to get the knowledge. But I'm saying that as a Christian, fundamentally, it's this talking relationship with God. You have a conversational relationship. He is, in his very nature, a talking God. And one of the primary things that we can do, that you can do, Ryan, is to learn how to hear his voice. And the number one way you learn how to hear his voice is you read the scriptures. You guys, why do you think last week, 150 of us spent over four hours investing in the Old Testament? 
It, it, it is to hear the story. It is to get the facts. It is to understand the knowledge. But, but that's, not, that's not all. We go further. We are developing, we are cultivating our own ability to hear God's voice. And the number one way we do that is by reading the scriptures. You guys, um, during this next season of time, we're, we're going through the Old Testament. And, and, and I know you guys, uh, we live very busy lives. We have all these different circles in life, you know. And so it's kind of scattered. It's very ADD. But what I'm proposing is that during this season, we try to line up as many projects and as many circles in the same thing so we can focus a little better. And, and I'm encouraging you all during the season to invest in the Old Testament. Now, if you look in your bulletin, uh, can you do that and pull out the blue sheet? And you can just uh, hold it up. Now, if you, if you went to the Walk Through the Bible uh, event last week, um, we, we went through this. And so I, I wanted to give you guys a chance to, to read this and to um, decide on some sort of individual project that's going to be in the Old Testament. And uh, Pastor Steve, what he did is he, he listed out a whole bunch of them, and there's this 30-day adventure, and, and you can go and pick one. And so in your own time, you're investing in the Old, Old Testament, and, uh, and we'll kind of be in alignment with what we're doing here from the pulpit. But then I think there's some other people who are not part of a home group, and, and maybe what you want to do is plug into a home group that is going through the book of Exodus. And so, uh, Doug, if you could uh, just flash that up there. If you guys are not in a home group, uh, these are just a couple home groups that are, are going through Exodus. Uh, we have more home groups than that, but these are the three that I know about who are going through Exodus. And so you can go ahead and uh, call these people up. And I, I'll tell you, one of the best ways I love to invest in the scriptures is to go through it with a group. So we are investing in God's work. Uh, word because God is a talking God and he speaks to us and the number one way we hear God's voice and we recognize that voice is by investing in the scriptures um, let's go with the, the, the third point <clears throat> the third point is this we are created in God's image created in God's image now on day number six this is after light Sky, dry land and vegetation, sun, moon, and stars arranged or created, sea animals, birds, land animals, and then God gets ready for his masterpiece. And the text says, verse 26, let us. By the way, it's interesting that God is one, and he's one, there's one God, and he's saying, let us. So here is a, a hint that there's complexity in his personality. There's community in the oneness. Let us, okay? Let us, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God creates man in his own image. This is not man distinct from woman, but man representing humankind. You and I are created in the image of God. 
God specifically created us to be like him. Now can I ask each of you, what does it do for your sense of, of worth and value, knowing that you are created in God's image? I mean, what, does that, what does that do for you? I, I want you to imagine God making an announcement to the entire world. This is to all creatures of earth, animals, angels. Just imagine him making this announcement. The world is, is, is waiting with bated breath. I'm going to make a represent, representation of myself in, in flesh. And he and she is going to reflect what I am like to the rest of the world. You know, are you ready for this? And then he pushes dirt together and he breathes on the dirt. And out comes the person sitting next to you in the pew. And all the animals go, you know, whoa, you know, that's what God's like. Now, what I want you to do is, would you just turn to the person next to you in the pew and just marvel at the image of God that you're seeing? That's kind of awkward, huh, if you, especially if you don't know them. You know, but some of you are looking and then laughing. What does that mean? That to be an image bearer of God means you reflect God in some Now, how do each of us reflect God? How do we do that? There's a lot of theories. Our ability to reason is one, to speak and to talk. He's a talking God. We're talking people. Our moral character is another uh, theory. Our capacity for relationship with love and commitment. Creativity. What is it? It's probably all of it. You know, I, 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 it, the, the text doesn't really explain it, you know, like, oh, here's what it means. But can I tell you one thing that this passage means for, or for us? I was thinking about this. Okay, we're made in the image of God. What is, how does this apply to our community? Well, this idea actually comes when the text says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female. Male and female. Now, what does that mean? It could mean that when different people, male, female, come together, somehow those differences in unity demonstrate the fullness and the beauty of God. So one possible interpretation is that as a man, I reflect the glory of God as a man, and uh, Ichan as a woman reflects the glory of God as a woman, you know, and us being in the same united community, we reflect him differently, but if you look at all the different pieces, it's singing this beautiful harmony about how amazing and beautiful, and these are the attributes of God. So that is definitely one possibility. Now, if that is true for our gender, can this be true for our ethnic identity too? Can that be true? Uh, I, I grew up as a Taiwanese uh, American man. Is it possible that God created me Taiwanese American, and as a Taiwanese American, I bear God's image? Look at the, the Taiwanese glory before you. <laughs> now, now, some of us, I'm saying this how it relates to, to some of us, some of us grew up with an ethnic identity, and we really didn't like that identity. Like, for example, maybe you grew up Japanese or you, you grew up Chinese, and in your heart, you've always wanted to be Taiwanese, right? I, no, you know, it, it's probably, you know, it's probably Caucasian, probably. Can it be that God created you with your ethnic identity, and you bear the image of God through that ethnic identity, and he's called you to be that ethnic identity to bear that image? What about your personality? 
Now, how many of you in the room would say, personality-wise, that you are introverts? Okay. Maybe about half of us. Maybe more. I'm thinking the introverts might not want to actually raise your hand <laughs> because you're an introvert. Maybe. Maybe. Now, is it true that in American society, uh, there's not a, love, a lot of love for introverts? Would you say that's kind of true? We just say in American society, it's more prized to be an extrovert. Like, I'm listening to NPR, and it's like a game show. And all the contestants are always extroverts and never pick an introvert. You know, like, you just won $5,000, Jordan. How do you feel? You know, it's like, oh, I, I feel fine. Thank you. You know, it's not very exciting. You know, we want the extrovert. Woohoo! You know, it's really out there, right? And in, 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 in so in American society, if you're an extrovert, you're celebrated. If you're an introvert, you're seen as, like, socially handicapped. Is it possible that God made you an introvert, and as an introvert, you bear the image of God? Extroverts tend to have lots of friends, and so there's love, but it's spread to many different people. What do introverts do? They have few friends, fewer friends, but there's it's a deeper relationship, right? Now, which one's God? Is he, is he just wide but not deep? He's wide and he's deep, right? So as introverts, more one-on-one, -on -one, deeper relationships, you are bearing the image of God. This is what God's like. This is how deep. You know, I'm reflecting his depth in relationships. And extroverts can, can, can reflect his, his width, his love is for everyone. Okay, really quickly. This is not like justification for my existence, by the way, okay. Um, uh, spontaneity. Our society doesn't really value uh, spontaneity. Um, but some of you guys are more spontaneous. Can you raise your hand? It's, it's P on the Myers-Briggs. We can go through each of the myers No, I'm kidding. Some of you are just more spontaneous. Now, which one is God? Well, God looks at the future and plans out every little detail. Yes, he does. But is he not also God of the present moment and the present promise that's in this moment? God of the future and God of this present, isn't he both? Well, isn't by your spontaneity, aren't you reflecting the glory of God? Different people coming together in harmony, expressing one attribute of God, but together we somehow showcase the harmony and the glory and the beauty. You bear the image of God. You bear the image of God as he created you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> Point number four, God gave humankind the, the what's the next word? Can you guys help me with that? It's in your outline. Loudly. Come on, introverts. <laughs> I'm kidding. Gift. Gift. The gift. I thought that would be a revolutionary word. Your work is a gift. Your gift. The gift of work. Really, if we take this deeper, the point I want you to understand is that God cares about your work. He deeply, deeply cares about your work. Verse 28. This is right after God creates Adam and Eve. It says, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I heard one very jaded person say that this is like the only verse that humankind has been successful in doing. But look at the next word, subdue. Subdue it. Daniel got that joke. Subdue it. Let's think about this word subdue. You subdue something, it means to overcome it, to master something, to control it. Now, if God is calling people to subdue his creation, it means that the creation must be wild, somewhat out of control, underdeveloped. And you imagine God here saying, this is my mission for you. Subdue it, control it, cultivate it, manage it. 
because there is deep, untapped potential. It's like God is saying, I've given you a lot of raw ingredients. Put it together. Subdue it. Make something out of it. Subdue it. So, is the iPhone bad? Yes. Next question. No. God, is God neutral about the iPhone? Let me put it this way. If you're like at a family dinner and you're with your parents, but you're like all texting on the phone, yes, the iPhone is bad. What you do with the iPhone can be very, very bad. But is the advancement in technology something that God just is very neutral about? I don't care. I mean, yeah, go, uh, I'm very impressed. I don't care. Or is this what he was actually telling us to do? Subdue it. Untap potential. Get your hands dirty. Use those raw materials and make something useful for society. Does God care about the Tesla? How do you think God feels about your work? One thing that's startling that in the first chapter, you get a God who works. He speaks something to life. He makes, separates, arranges things, calls it something. Then over and over the text says, he looked at his creation and he saw that it was good. You imagine God going, that's good. And after his masterpiece, he looks at everything and he goes, that's very good. Imagine God saying, oh, that is, he's, he's having satisfaction in his work. Do you think God feels neutral about your work? Really quick, and I know we're out of time, I'll just be done. Sometimes in church, we give this sense that pastors and missionaries have a higher calling than everyone else. So it's kind of like God looks at all work and he makes this basic division. There's divine work and then there's secular work. Now it just so happens that as a pastor, I do divine work and all you guys do secular work. So really, God only cares about what I do. What you do, he doesn't, he doesn't really care. Yeah, it's all secular. Is that true? I don't see that in the text. All work that contributes to society, that cares for other people, that makes something useful of the raw materials that he's given us is divine work. I see a God who does noble work and then gives noble work, gets his hands dirty for people to do. Noble, fruitful, meaningful, productive, creative work. There's no such thing as secular work. All work is divine. So how do you feel about going to work tomorrow? Uh, we're going to have to end it here. It would be nice if human history actually, you know, stopped right here. But we have to go on to the next chapter. And in the next chapter, um, well, you know, everything gets ruined. Uh, we're going to unpack that. There's hope around the corner. And we're going to unpack that next week. Can you all stand? We're going to close in prayer. Lord, I, I, I thank you for this vision of your amazing power. And I, I pray that you would, you would help us, just even with childlike faith, to see what you've done in making the stars. You are a galaxy maker. And to take the clarity of your power into our lives, to set us free from anxiety to give us a greater vision for prayer and communion with you. And Father, as people are, are, are thinking about you as a talking God, and they want to develop uh, being able to hear and discern your voice as they read the scriptures, I pray that as we invest, we would hear your voice and we would come alive. 
we would come alive just as you spoke things and they came alive, that we would come alive too as we hear your voice and invest in your word. And Father, I also pray that you would help us to see ourselves as image bearers of God. Image bearers of God. And, and, and that we would be able to love and accept places in ourselves that we don't, we, we're not proud of that. We, we dislike that about ourselves. And we would come to actually accept 